and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Bavakama, daf tet, page nine. Um, we've been talking, you know, about the different ways of payback and the different kinds of land, the different qualities of land. Here we have a statement from Rav Huna that, well, Rav Huna Amar, Okesef Ometav. Rav Huna says you can pay damages either with the money or with the best quality of land. Now, that sounds like almost a contradiction to what was in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says you have to pay with the best quality of land. And I think the position is kind of universally cash works fine um, if that's an opportunity, if you have the opportunity to do so. But there's some concern here about what, you know, to what extent Rav Huna's statement is universally or, in fact, not so universally accepted. AJ Rav Nachman Rav Huna, Rav Nachman has an objection, not surprisingly. Yashiv, right, he's quoting this Limud from that Breita, where it says, Yashiv, he will pay back the owner, Lerabot Shvei Kasef Afilu Subin. And he can pay back in any kind of value, any any kind of payback, as long as he's repaying the value of what was damaged. He could even pay with, and we said this was like with bran, right? With some kind of the low quality um, value of grain, not grain, bran, right? Which is not anything, it's nothing to write home about in terms of, of um, something that has independent value, you know, independent something people would want to get, right? Like the best of one's land, or for that matter, cash, this Breita says, no, you can even pay back with Bran. So what, what's, you know, what are you saying, Rav Huna? So Rav Huna is going to answer. He says as follows. We're dealing with a case, meaning we're dealing with a case of uh, where some, the case of the Breita, with the payback could be with Bran, is a person who doesn't have any money or better land or anything to pay back. So let him pay with anything that he can rustle up to be the value of what was damaged. Meaning if he doesn't have anything, then he can pay with whatever means he's got, you know, to make sure that he can pay back. So the implication then is, you know, you don't say to him, go sell whatever you own for the sake of accumulating enough money so you can pay for damages. You could just pay with that item to begin with. Right, you don't have to go sell your stuff to be able to pay with money. Um, I think also that there, you know, at some point when you get more complicated into deep into the weeds of a particular case, you know, someone doesn't have to sell like the shirt off his back to be able to pay someone else back. So that you know how poor the the owner of the property that did damage to the property, how poor that person is, will have a real impact on. You know, not only through what will he pay, but how and also when. Um, Ravasi, so Ravasi says, Safim Money is equivalent to land. The Ram wants to know, well, when, when, is a, when is it that money is equivalent to land? If you want to say that money is equivalent to the land when you're talking about edit, meaning that best quality land, well, that's exactly what Ravuna said. Meaning, why why would the Gemara be presenting Rav Asi as if it's a new reasoning or a new a new a new approach if it's really identical to Rav Huna? So Rav Asi is talking about a case of there were two brothers. They divided their inheritance. One took the inheritance in land, and the other took it in money. And then uva balchov, and then. The father had a debt, and the creditor came to collect the debt. 
v'natal karka, and he took land, meaning that's what the loan had been connected to. The azil hai v'shakil palga b'ksafim b'hadei, and Rav Asi's point is what he should have done. The creditor should come and take half the value of the um, of the debt that the father owned. He should take half of it from the land from the brother that owns the land, and the other half from the money that the brother that owned the money. Um, you know, so he'll get paid back half in cash, so to speak, and half in karka, half in land. Pshita, the Gemara says, well, isn't that obvious? High brav, high lobra. So the Gemara says, well, in this case, you know, isn't this a case of where one is a son and then the other case is not a son? But in this case, they're both sons. They both have equally inherited. They both have responsibility for the father's debts. So it makes sense to say that he should take half and half. So then the Gemara is going to, gives another possible read of all of this, namely, What happens? He says, to the contrary. What's the issue? You could look at it and say, one brother says to the other brother, you know, when we, when we split up the property, when we divided it, we understood I'm taking the money and that if it's stolen from me, I don't come after you to, you know, I don't come and ask for your land. And likewise, you know, you took the land and if there's going, if it's going to be taken from you, meaning from a creditor, then, you know, you're not getting reimbursed from me. Meaning there are risks and benefits, right, to each kind of of asset, right? The cash asset, you know, it's movable um, and it's not going to be, or this this version of it, it says, you, that's not how you pay back a creditor. You pay back the creditor from the land. And so that's what that brother has to do. But on the other hand, cash, because it's movable, you know, anybody could just come and steal it and he can't come and say, oh, I didn't get my inheritance. Now you split up the land with me. So now we have to come back and understand Ravasi. So Ravasi says, we're talking about a case of two brothers who divided the land. The creditor came, took a portion from one of them, meaning it just seems to be in this, in this more simple version of the, of the brother's inheritance, it seems that both of them got land and the creditor came and took only from one of them. But so now what are you going to do, right? It seems like both brothers are, you know, do they have to redistribute the land? It seems not fair to say only one of the brothers is going to pay. So the Gemara says, Didn't Rav Asi already say this same ruling a different time? Where we have the following case. Meaning there's brothers and the debtor comes to take half of, from one of them. And so then Rav says that that original division of land, that, you know, this one has half, this half and that one has the other half, is divided, right? Rav says, no, that original division of land is is null and void because the debtor came and took, you know, the debt to get paid back from the only one of them, the portion of only one of them. But Shmuel says that each brother, by taking their portion, kind of, um, gave up on any rights to be reimbursed, meaning that's exactly the question of how this Yerusha works. Is it that you get whatever benefits and whatever potential losses come with 
the land that you get? Or do we say they both, you know, because they both inherited from their father and it was their father's debt that they should then redistribute the land between the two of them and pay the father's debt equally? And that's this dispute between Rav and Shmuel. Rav Asi Amar, and that's what Rav Asi says, Notel Rivia Bakarka, Rivia Bamaot. At that point, Rav Asi had ruled that the brother who, who was, from whom the debtor took the land, he still has the right to get, you know, some more of his inheritance. And so the claim is that he should get a quarter, meaning right a half went to the debtor. So half of the half, a quarter, he gets in land and then he gets the other quarter in money. So that's Rav Asi talking about a different case, but it seems to be that he's consistent with this case. Um, and then the Gemara is going to go, you know, into more detail to explain the different rationales of would, you know, why would you relinquish your rights or why would you, in fact, redistribute it? Um, but I think that what we see here is, you know, there's there's a lot of the discussion here of how do you pay back from the better, from the best quality of land? And I think it's important to note that, you know, not everybody had the quality of, had land to begin with and had land that was called the best quality of land. And nonetheless, they're still going to figure out how anybody's going to pay back, whether it's for damaging, damages, which was the very beginning of the Rav Huna position. And then also the rest of this, we're talking about a debtor and a creditor. Um, you know, there's different ways to pay back as needed. Um, and it's interesting to me, and I guess we don't have time to delve into it, but it's interesting to me that the, 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 Gemara keeps veering into the issues of, you know, borrowers and lenders, creditors and debtors, as compared to damage. Meaning, damage, I think, is maybe seen, from the Gemara's point of view, as seen as a little bit more straightforward. Meaning, somebody, I guess you still have to, like, you might have to deal with a court case. You might have to still adjudicate the fact that, yes, in fact, this person's property damaged that person's property. And you need a fair assessment of whatever that's going to be worth. But it's in some ways less complicated than what happens when you are dealing then with, you know, the inheritance of debt is a different kind of thing. I mean, I'm trying to think what would happen if you had the inheritance of, you know, you still had to pay back your father's property's damage to another person. So you could ha- you could inherit that kind of liability as well. But it seems to me that the Gemara kind of keeps veering into these cases because they are more complicated. They warrant attention and they kind of, each of them like kind of spins off of the original discussion of paying damages, compensatory damages when your problem else is property. Well, with that, we finished the uh, first Mishnah. Um, I really do like this piece sort of at the end that gets kind of gets just stuck in there. Um, I'm not going to read it, but just this part about, um, you know, what do we spend on a mitzvah? Um, it kind of comes a little bit out of nowhere. Um, I think it's just based on because we were talking about uh, Rav Huna. And so this also is a statement of Rav Huna. But, you know, it also has to deal with a way of spending money or how, what we calculate when we spend with money. So maybe that's also a connection. So just pay attention to that. Um, it's interesting to talk about how much money we have to spend for a mitzvah. But I'm going to start with the next mission, which is our second mission of Avakama. And it describes, you know, now that we know what the damagers are, what are things that could potentially cause damage, what circumstances is somebody high of, is somebody liable for damage done by his property, right? So when are you high of, when are you liable to actually have to pay damages to somebody else? Whatever I'm obligated to guard from doing damage, I have caused the damage it does if 
you, you didn't guard it in the right way, and then you have to pay damage. So in other words, something that you know is going to cause damage, and you, you know, therefore have to watch it, and therefore if it causes some type of damage, it means you didn't watch it well, and you have to, um, you have to uh, pay the damages. If I caused a portion of the damage, I'm obligated in the payment of the damage. Like one who caused all of the damage. So part of what's going to be discussed a lot in tomorrow's staff is this idea of somebody who causes only part of the damage, but yet has to pay the full damage. It's as if they cause the entire damage. And then Gamar is going to explain what cases uh, this actually applies to. Nechasim she'en bahen right? One uh, pays damages only in the case of properties that are not subject to the laws of me'ila. So me'ila is something that we've talk, talked about before, right? Me'ila is the idea of misusing temple property. Um, and so you can only damage property that isn't, that you, you only pay for damaging property that isn't subject to me'ila. What this basically means is, is that if you uh, damage property, right, which basically is temple property, because that means it was subject to the law of Meila, um, you don't actually have to pay. You don't. You don't actually pay the damages. And again, the Gemara this will get you know explains a little bit more as well. Um, then it goes on to say Nechasim Shehain Shel Breed. Properties that belong to members of the Brit, meaning only to Jews, not to non-Jews. Again, the Gemara will explain why. Nechasin hamiyuchadin, privately held properties. Um, so it means property that is owned by somebody that was damaged by somebody. But if it's ownerless, for example, then there's no liability. You won't actually uh, have to pay anything. Ubechomakom, and in these circumstances, right, one has to pay for damage done in any place. Except for a premise, you know, an area that was reserved for the damager. So in other words, if let's say somebody's ox entered your property and your ox that was on your property damaged somebody else's ox, right? You're not actually liable because that ox had no business and it shouldn't have been on your property. So it, it has to be a place, if, if it was a place that, right, that's what the idea of if it was a place that that was reserved for the damager, in other words, the damager's property, the damager had a right to have his object that needed to be watched there, um, then they're not liable. And on a premises that belongs both to the damaged party and the damager. And again, the Gemara will explain what exactly this means. When it, one of the damagers, does damage it, damage, the damager is obligated to make payment for the damage, right? And this we was something we talked about, that when you do need to make payment for damages, um, you do it from the metav ha'aretz. You do it from the best of the land. In other words, you're going to take your best property and that's what you're going to, uh, that's what you're going to pay for. Now, the Gemara begins its discussion by bringing in a brisa uh, that sort of expands on some of what the Mishnah talks about. Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis taught in a brisa, kol shechavti bishmirato hisharti ednizko, right? Whatever I'm obligated to guard from doing damage, I have caused the damage it does if I 
didn't guard it properly. In other words, you're responsible. If you have to guard it and it causes damage, then you're responsible if it causes damage. Kate said how. So this is different where the Brisa differs from our Mishnah. It gives a specific example. So if somebody owns an ox or a pit and he gave it over to somebody who is a, you know, a cheresh, which we define in English as a deaf mute, a shota, which is somebody who doesn't have the same mental capacity, let's say, of an average regular person or of a minor. So in other words, these are three categories. And we've spent many times on our uh, podcast talking about the category of the cheresh and the shota and what it means. Uh, the English translations don't do well with what they are. But the idea is these are not categories of people, these three people, the cheresh, shota, and katan, who we say are sort of in a place where they can be held responsible. They're, they're not a good guard. They can't watch something. Um, and, and we wouldn't, you know, say that they're responsible guards. The hiziku and the ox or the pit damaged another person while the, the chayra shota or katan was in charge of that object. Chayv shalem, the owner of the damager, right? The, 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 the damager is, is chayv to pay for the damage because he didn't guard it properly. Even though he gave it to somebody, those were people who should not have been in charge of that object. Masha'ain kein ba'esh, but this is not true with fire. If you were to hand fire over to a chayra shota or katan, uh, the damager, the owner of that fire, would not actually be responsible. So what happens from here is, is there's going to be a discussion about why this is the case. What is the what distinguishes shore and bore from ish that this ruling was that this ruling is actually made, um, and then from there there's going to be a discussion uh, that gets started on the bottom where all of these categories are going to be compared to each other. Right, a shore is going to be compared to a bore. Where is one more machmir? Where is the other one more machmir? A shore will be compared to an age. A bore will be compared to an age. And it's going to go through permutation to really discuss what are the differences in these categories. But the first discussion, again, that's going to take place here is, is why is there this distinction? What is it about the age uh, that's different? And it basically has to do with that sort of the, the, the Gemara, I'm not going to read all of it, but essentially... Um, you know, they're going to present two options, an opinion of Reish Lakish and an opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. Um, and, um, and, and it has to do with understanding a difference about how fire actually causes damage is different than how a shore or a bore causes damage. So I think some of what we see that's interesting here is the way that, you know, the Gemara is trying to really conceptualize when we have these categories in our first Mishnah of the Masachat, um, that we understand that these are sort of like four different paradigmatic ways that damages could be done. And so now we're starting to see, you know, that they're actually going to really tease out, like, how does the damage occur by these types of categories and how are they different? Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our Talking Time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.